We are in week two of this series called The Happiness Myth, where we are studying the book of Judges. Judges is a 21-chapter book, and it reads like a manual for how to destroy your life, okay? I mean, chapter one, things are going relatively good, and by the end of the book, 21 chapters later, it is a disaster, and it gets a little bit worse every chapter. And the reason it gets worse and the reason we're studying this book and jumping into it is because the people in the book of Judges, the nation of Israel, lived according to the happiness myth. They lived according to the happiness myth. And what we said last week is the happiness myth is just the belief. It's just the idea that my way is the best way to be happy. You have your way. I'll have my way and we'll be happy. That's what it says in the book of Judges several different times. But but in, this, in the last verse of the, very, of, of the end of the book, when the author of the book is trying to sum up how to explain the last 350 years of disaster, it says there was no king in Israel and the people all did what, they, what seemed right in their eye. In other words, it's the happiness myth. Hey, whatever's right for you, you do you. Whatever's right for me, I'll do. And, and we'll just, everybody will be happy my way is the best way. But what we learned last week is that the best way for the most fulfilling life is a life fully committed to God. It's not restrictive or it's not, you know, looking at green grass on the other side, that the best way for for happiness, full life, joy, fulfillment, whatever you want to say there, is a life that is fully committed to God. And in the very first chapter, we saw last week that there were a group of people. These are the same people who came out of the desert and and saw the walls of Jericho fall. Moses brought them out of Egypt. That generation died. Their kids then with Joshua crossed the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho fall. They're entering into the promised land. This is the same generation that saw all that happen. But now they're in a place in life where they don't have to have God. They don't need bread and food to fall, you know, fish to fall from the sky. They don't need walls to fall. They don't need God to win any, uh, you know, battles for them. They get to decide, do I really want to fully commit my life to God when I don't have to? I'm not facing a jail sentence. My marriage isn't falling apart. My kids do like me and talk to me, and I'm not addicted to something. Like, I don't have to fully commit to God, but will I fully commit to God? And they, they kind of committed to God. The previous generation that we read about in chapter one, they didn't do the best that they could do. They did the best that they would do. They were 70, 80% committed to God. And so today, we're gonna move on to chapter two and read about what happens to their kids. We're gonna see what happens to their kids. I have a confession to make. This morning, uh, before the first service started, I was in my office and I was watching um, the Solheim Cup. If you don't know what the Solheim Cup is, uh, I understand it's not that big a deal, I guess, but um, I love golf. You know I love golf, and, and I like to watch golf. Whatever it is, I consume it, right? And so the Solheim Cup is like the women's Ryder Cup. It's, a, it's, a, it's women golfers, USA versus Europe, and uh, it's pretty incredible. And so, But it was over in Europe this time, and so it started like 2 a.m. So when I woke up early this morning, I just I started watching it. It was the last day. And so I came to the church, and it was almost over. USA was making this great comeback, and, and so I'm watching it upstairs, and on the last hole, one of the, the very last matches on the last hole, this uh, young girl on the American team makes this huge putt to c- continue to give America a chance to win, 
And after she makes it, she drops her butter, she jumps up and down, she starts crying. Her dad comes out of the crowd, jumps up, she jumps and hugs her dad. He's crying, the girl is crying, I'm crying in the office. It wasn't like a full cry, but I had the tissues out and I'm thinking, wow, what a moment, right? And I think all of us, I mean, yes, I was crying at women's golf, I get it, but I wasn't crying because it was women's golf. I was crying because every one of us as parents, we want to have those meaningful moments with our kids, don't we? We want to have those moments that it, it, it's, it's like you, those moments you never forget with your children. And before I had kids, like my wife has maybe seen, seen me like really full cry like twice in my life. I'm not a crier. But the, the older my kids get, the more kids I have, like it, all it takes now is like a state farm commercial with a little girl driving out of the driveway. And I'm just like, oh, my, I'm just dying, right? <laughs> Turn the channel. I can't. Because we, 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 as parents, we understand and we recognize the, the, the important role that we play and how valuable and special our children are to us. And, and we, want those, we want those meaningful moments. And so we're going to talk about that today. And if you're here today and you're a parent or you're a grandparent or you're an aunt or an uncle or a godparent or a close friend, if you have any influence over children at all, I really am glad that you're here. And I want you to take some notes because I really believe God wants to, to tell us something today and share something with us. And so we're going to start in Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So that's just kind of recapping what we talked about, that that the generation in chapter one, they served God. Like, I don't want to make it sound like they, you know, weren't going to heaven, if that's the standard you want to use. Or Like, they served God. They, they, they knew God. God had done great things. They were, for the most part, committed to him. But we saw in chapter one that God gave them very specific commands to, to, to do, to drive out all the people and destroy all the all the, uh, all the gods that the people served, and they wouldn't do it. They had a better way. They were convinced their way was the best way to be happy, not God's way. And so they were serving God, but we see in chapter one, and they want us to see, the author wants us to see, that there were some areas of their life they, that they refused to be fully committed to God. So verse seven says in chapter two, they served God. They were, they were a godly generation, whatever you wanna call it. Verse 10, okay, chapter, Judges chapter two, verse 10. After that generation died, so that, that's who we talked about last week. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. They didn't, they didn't know. So their parents had seen the walls of Jericho fall. Their parents had stories about bread and fish falling out of the sky to eat when there was nothing to eat. The next generation grows up and it's not that they don't know the story. The words make it sound like they didn't even know. It's, it's that it wasn't an active part of their life. Like, it was, it was a fairy tale. It was something that happened for their parents, right? The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. The last line, they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. So as I was reading 
and studying back in the spring, knowing we were going to be talking about this in the fall and then reading it again this week, my heart just breaks at such a tragic verse that this next generation went after other gods. They served the gods of the people around them. And here's what I believe is our takeaway. And we're going to be super practical in a second. But here, I think, is the takeaway for us from that verse that we just read. As a parent, I cannot be shocked when the areas of my life that I refuse to fully commit to God end up being the areas that hold my kids back or keep my kids bound or keep my kids trapped. In other words, the idols that I refuse to destroy in my life will probably be the idols that my children decide to worship. That's what Judges chapter 2 teaches us. Because God told the people, we read it last week in Numbers, God said, when you get into the land, I want you to drive out all the people. I don't want anybody but Israelites living there. Drive out all the people. Not because I'm trying to be mean, God said. Not because I'm trying to make you work harder. That's not. He said, I want you to drive out all the people so they're not a thorn in your eye and a constant temptation to you. That's what he said. I want you to do it for you. Drive out all the people, destroy all the the idol worship, destroy everything. The people chose not to, and one generation later, the area of their life where they refused to obey God, those are now the idols that their children are worshiping. That's a powerful thought. It's not meant to imply guilt, but it is meant to challenge us, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends, godparents. It is meant to challenge us to review our lives, to look at our lives and ask ourselves, where are the areas of our lives where we refuse to fully obey God that will most likely be what is a trap to our children? Because we read last week in chapter one where it said that they didn't drive the people out but they did keep them as slaves. They had it under control. Can I just tell you real quick that the areas of compromise in your life that you have under control, your kids won't have them under control. So you have it under control. It's okay. There's no problems. That won't be true for your kids. You may be able to handle it, but they won't. And that's what's happening in Judges chapter 2. The very thing that the, that the parents refuse to deal with and destroy and obey is now the thing that has bound their children and kept them from knowing God. And so what I'd like to talk about for the time we have left today, and I, I want to be super practical, it's actually going to be a little bit messy, and I have so much I want to say, I, I couldn't even get it down in like an outline form because I really could talk for a couple of hours about this, but... I've been looking forward for months to talking to you today about this idea. How do we raise kids who know God? Not just good kids. Like, I don't want to just raise a good kid. I want to raise a kid that knows God. And please hear my heart. I want my kids to be respectful. I want them to learn how to manage money. I want them to make good grades. I want to raise good kids. But my biggest fear for my daughters is not that they would grow up and be strippers and drug dealers. My biggest fear is that they would hang out with me and hang out in church for the rest of their lives and never know God. And I don't want that. I want to raise kids that know God, that experience him, that have an emotional attachment to God. 
And so as best as I can today, I want to try to share some thoughts that I have about that, some experiences that I have about that. Now, I'm going to tell a lot of stories today about my daughter, Sadie. It's not that I love uh, her more than I love my other children, even though my wife says that's true. It's just that she's seven. I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. So the four-year-old, we're starting to get into some of this stuff, but like, not so much. The seven-year-old, like, we're able now to kind of do some of the things I'm going to talk about today. But, I, but so I, I'll keep saying Sadie, 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 but like I have two other kids as well. Just these examples are with Sadie, okay? So um, how do we raise not just good kids, but kids that know God? Uh, Deuteronomy 6, God was talking through Moses, and he said um, in verse 6, he said, he says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Moses, talking to, Moses is talking to the parents in chapter 1, the parents of the kids in chapter 2. He says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and your gate. And then verse 20 in Deuteronomy 6 says, in the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws and decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? In other words, let me kind of modern paraphrase here. Your kids are going to be like, why we got to do all this? Why we got to do that? Why we got to go to church? They're going to want to know. And they may not ask you, but they'll wonder. And, and I guess what would be worse than them asking is not feeling the need to ask because they don't see it modeled by us as a wholehearted commitment to God. But there should be a strangeness about us in a sense because they look around the world and they don't see fully commit, committed lives to God, but they look at mom and dad and they see that and they're like, well, my parents are like a little bit weird like that. <laughs> And they're like, why? Why do we do that, right? This is, they're going to ask. And then God says in 21, then you must tell them, when they ask, when they get curious, then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him. So he, he called us and challenged us to be fully committed to him, not so we could be restricted, not so we couldn't have fun, not so we couldn't be happy. He, he commanded us to be fully committed to him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. He's doing it for us. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands our Lord, our God has given us. So God says through Moses, he says, be fully committed to me. And then your kids are gonna wanna ask why we're going to all this trouble and why we're so why are we doing this? Why are we so fully committed? And when they ask, say, because I was a slave. God has saved me. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve you. I deserve to be dead right now. I did enough dumb things before I met your mom. I'm telling you, like, God has been good to us. And he continues to bless us, and he continues to preserve us. Now, I, my family has been 
an unbelievable blessing and heritage in my life. And I don't say this to make any of you feel guilty who don't have this. I just want to give you an example, a real-life example that you can say, I know that guy, I know he's telling the truth, and so I know it does exist out there, okay? My great-great-grandfather committed his life to God. Best I know that I can tell through asking family members, he was the first to, to commit his life to God. Great-great-grandfather. And he, he, God put it on his heart to, to be a preacher, called him to preach, but he couldn't read. But God miraculously, even though he could not read, he was able to read the Bible. That's nuts, right? And so since that time, so my great-great-grandfather, uh, great-grandfather, grandfather, aunts, uncles, parents, okay, all the way down. I just want to just blow your mind here for a second. All the way back to my great-grandfather, nobody in our family's been divorced except for my mom. I, you could definitely consider that to be a tragic death, but it wasn't a sudden death. Even God was good in that. We, we haven't really dealt with uh, death. We definitely haven't dealt with tragic uh, death against us. Um, nobody has been incriminated or incarcerated for anything. Nobody's been in jail. Um, every one of my family members, as best we can tell, trusting them, love God, serve God, follow God, actively involved in a church, actively involved in building the church. I want you to think about that for a second. Great, great grandparent fully commits his life to God. And the family tree going all the way down has been nothing but blessing, incredible blessing from God who has preserved us. And we are not experts and we are not perfect and we have our mistakes and our sins and I'm not better than you. I just want you to know that what God said is true. And maybe you're here today and you're like, Jason, let me tell you my family tree, dead, dead, arrested, not even sure, like you're going through. Let me tell you something. God wants to change your family tree starting with you. <laughs> starting with you. Because if he can find a fully committed life, he will begin. The Bible says generation after generation after generation. He, but, but a lot of us, we are trapped by the idols that our parents refuse to destroy. And we don't destroy them. And our kids don't destroy them. You understand what I'm saying? My grandmother, uh, I call her Meemaw. Mimo Isaacs, incredible woman, giant in the faith. I'm talking about when we, when we need somebody to get a hold of God, we call Mimo. all right? And years ago, she was concerned that her grandchildren, that would be me, and her great-grandchildren would not know God the way that she knew God. And she knew God. She knows God. She's alive. She knows God. And God had done so many incredible, miraculous things in her life that she, she did not, like we read in Judges, she did not want there to be a generation that grew up who did not know the mighty acts and the mighty works of God. And so she decided to sit down and to write down every miracle that God had done in her family and in her life. And she put them together in a little booklet and bound them and gave a copy of that to all of her grandchildren and all of her great-grandchildren. And this book is filled with stories about how incredible God is. I was, I was talking about some of them this week. I called my dad just to kind of make sure I didn't tell preacher exaggerations in my stories. But 
Um, my grandparents were, were a poor family. My grandfather was a pastor before pastors made any money. So if people didn't like tithe farm crops, they didn't eat. Like they didn't, they were poor. And uh, they didn't have a car, but my grandfather needed to take a job in another county over. And so they didn't have any money to get a car. And so somebody gave them a car all, or they saved up a little bit of money. All they could afford was a hearse because it was on sale. And so my dad tells stories about me, mom, and people driving the hearse and the kids are in the back of the hearse. Right? That was back before you had to be in a car seat till you were like 17. So they were just hanging out in the hearse back there. So, um, so one day my grandfather was gone somewhere and the hearse was at the house and my, grand, my dad was like seven or eight and, my, and Meemaw had to take uh, my dad and his sister to school. And so it's early in the morning and Meemaw sends my dad out to get the car cranked and get the heat going. And my dad goes out there and the car's gone. Comes inside, he says, Mom, the hearse is gone. The car's gone. She said, what do you mean it's gone? He says, it's gone. Somebody took the car. And they're kind of panicked. They don't have any money. Like they, I don't know, they can't replace the car. And, dad, and my dad says, what do you want to do? And, and Mima said, we better pray. And so my dad and his sister Lynn and Mima gathered around and just started praying. And my dad tells the story as like a seven or eight-year-old. He says, I'm just kind of like sitting there, you know, and I was praying like, God, I just, you know, I pray you'd bring that car back, you know. And, but he said, Mima, like, I have one of those grandmothers who prays in that loud voice that sounds like she's crying, but she's not crying. Like, oh, oh, oh God. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody, like, ever heard a grandma pray like that? Yeah. Oh, 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 God. That's how she prays, right? And he says, she's just praying, man, praying. He said, about an hour later, somebody knocks on the door. He says, uh, are you uh, Pastor Isaac's family? Yeah. Don't you own a black hearse? Yes, sir, we do. Uh, it's about a quarter mile down the road down here. And somebody had tried to steal it, and it stopped running. They got in the car, went down there, it cranked right up. They took the family to school, came back home. Like, that's, that's what God does. There's other stories about how my dad cut his finger really bad. They were, they were afraid he was going to lose it. But can't, they didn't have, they didn't, there was no vehicle. They couldn't get to the doctor or the hospital or whatever. And so they just brought it inside, and they just prayed for his finger, and it just healed right up right there in front of everybody. Tom, when the car ran out of gas, the hearse ran out of gas, and they didn't have any money to put any gas in the car, but they weren't home. And Mimo Isaacs got out of the car, and she put both hands on the hood where the gas tank was. And she said, God, you know we don't have any money, and we can't put any gas in this car. And God, but God, you can. And she went back in and cranked that thing up. It ran for four more days. And it's not because she's like a witch doctor, okay? It's because she knows that God hears her when she prays, and she prays with great faith. And she was so afraid that we would not remember those stories, not know those stories. And there's a lot more. And she wanted them to know. She wanted them to know. And as a parent, I, I want to have those kind of stories. I want to raise kids that know God and experience God and not just are good kids. And I know, I know a lot of it has to do with personality and everybody doesn't have to parent like I parent and everybody's different. And I, so please don't take my opinions as God's words today. But I gotta tell you, I'm much more concerned about Sadie's prayer time than her bedtime. I'm much more concerned about like her reading the Bible than I am her like reading her assigned book from school. And like we go to bed, trust me, and we read books, like school books. We do those things. But that's not my ultimate priority. I want her to know God, and I was thinking about just things that were 
in our house, like some ways, practical ways, stories that we've experienced. Um, because here's what I know to be true. Like, I can't expect her to have a relationship with God that I don't model. But if I'll model it as she gets older, she'll say, well, I mean, I know what somebody who's fully committed to God looks like. A um, couple of examples for you. Please hear this with the, the, the humble heart I'm sharing it with. Like, I almost didn't share some of this because I don't want people to think, oh, Jason's got the perfect family. Okay. So I started taking prayer walks around my neighborhood, especially during the fast. It's two miles all the way around the neighborhood, and um, I didn't want to run because I wasn't eating. So I decided I'd walk, and I would just pray, you know, 20, 25 minutes I'd pray going around. And so Sadie, one night, sees me getting ready to go outside. She says, Dad, are you going to walk? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, I want to go. I said, fine, but this is a prayer walk, so if you're going, you got to pray. This is a prayer walk. If you're going, you pray. Okay, I'll pray. So we're walking. I'm praying. She's not really praying. I said, Sadie, you got to pray? She said, yeah, yeah, Dad, I'm praying in my head. I'm like, okay, sure. So um, that night, nothing really crazy happened, but, and I didn't, I mean, she, I think she prayed one time or whatever, but like, she walked for 25 minutes with me and just like heard me pray, praying out loud. She heard me pray. And so one of these days, I believe that when she really starts trying to learn how to pray, she's going to hear my voice. And I want her to know. I want her to know what that's like. So a couple days later, uh, I keep a little prayer journal. And so I was going out that night, and I decided that I was going to pray over some long-term prayers. So these were like prayers that I had written down, like life goals that I had written down and things. And I told Sadie, I said, she said, I want to go. I said, it's a prayer walk. If you're going, you got to pray. She said, that's fine. So we get out there, and I said, Sadie, tonight I'm praying over long-term prayers. God may not answer these prayers for 20, 30, 40 years. I gave her some examples. I said, you know, I'm praying that God would let me and your mom celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. You know, I'm pray- and I just kind of re- went through some of these things. I said, I'm praying that God would give me the opportunity to walk you down the aisle at your wedding and um, different things. And so we prayed over a few of those. And I said, Sadie, is there anything in your, anything you'd like to ask God for, like that you would like God to answer, you know, 20, 30 years from now? And she thought, and she said, well, yeah, I guess I could pray for my husband. I said, that is fantastic. Let's do that. I said, what do you want to ask God for, for your husband? And she said, and this is just a credit to how awesome Pastor Kim is. She said, well, I want to ask God to give me a husband who loves wisdom and who, and who has friends who are smart. Well, that, during that time in children's church, they were learning about wisdom, you know. I said, Sadie, that's a fantastic prayer. Why don't you pray? And so she, God, I pray. And she just kind of repeated it to God. You know, at that moment, I'm feeling like the, the greatest dad in the world, you know, like, oh, my gosh. I came home and I wrote it down because I want to share that story at her wedding. Um, but I said, you know what, this is, this is how you, this is how a kid comes to know God. And, like, we pray, we try to pray every night, and most nights, like, the girls are making, like, fart noises during prayer. Like, it's not, it's not like prayer, holy moment. It's like, you know, and, but every now and then, because we just want to, we just want to put them in, in those positions every now and then, it's one of those moments where I believe that God is shaping her faith. So we, we, we do that together. I want them to hear me pray, but also we, we pray together. And not just praying for the food, even though we pray for the food, that's fine. 
Um, I, I want him to pray. Um, I have a friend who is a struggling addict, and he hasn't totally conquered his demons yet. And uh, he called me one day, and he said, uh, I'm an idiot. I fell. I'm a moron. I'm so mad at myself. I'm high right now. I said, where you at? He told me. I went and got him. I said, listen, you're coming to stay at my house tonight. I forgot to check with Andrea first. That was a little crazy, but um, my wife's incredible. I called her. I'm like, hey, we're coming home. She's like, oh, okay. Um, we went and hung out for a little while before I came home. And so we get home, and Sadie says, like, oh, why is so-and-so staying here? And I said, well, he, he's just he's going through a tough time. And uh, he needs some help. He needs somewhere to stay. And so, you know, your mommy and I always want to have a house where people can have a place to stay if they, need, if they need a place and they need some help. And I said, you know, there's just some things God's trying to help him with, but, um, you know, God, God's helping him. And I love my daughter. She's, like, so concerned. She's, like, like bullying. Is he struggling with bullying? <laughs> I said, yeah, something like that. That's pretty much what it is. Next morning, you know, he leaves. She brought it up one more time. I want her to know that, like, God calls us to help people who need help. I want her to know that. Um, anytime we have a solution or a service opportunity at the church, like, she doesn't get a choice. Get in the car. We're going. And so we did the Bless Back Project, and I took her and Grayson and went and found Tim Jenkins, who was cleaning the tables and the lunch, and I said, work them. And... So go in there, and they're wiping down the tables. That's not like they're not in the presence of God, like, oh, we're wiping down these. No, but I want them to know that we use the time and the talents and the ability that God has given us to make a difference, to help people. So we do it. We're washing cars for single moms. She's coming. We're about to the age now where Nora's coming too. I want her to know that that's, that's, what, that's what we do. Um, we... Uh, we sponsor an orphan from Casa Shalom in Guatemala. And then when, when we had the opportunity to, to sponsor an orphan, I, I went and got Sadie out of class. I brought her in here and I said, all these kids on this table right here do not have a mommy and a daddy like you have a mommy and a daddy. And so we're going to sponsor them. They're going to kind of be like your brother and sister in a way, but they'll never come to our house. We got to give money to them every month. I want you to look and I want you to pick out whoever you want to sponsor. So she looked through the table, and she picked out Abigail. And that, app, that picture of Abigail sits in her room, and she knows every month we send $30 a month. And sometimes when she gets birthday money or something like that, she, I say, now you need to give a little bit of that money to help to Abigail. And she does it. She does it. And I want her to know that God blesses us to be a resource to bless others, to help others, to take care of the orphan and the widow like God commanded us to do. I want her to know that. Um, when I do fasts, I drink orange juice. It's the only time I drink orange juice, really. But when I do, like, if I'm not eating and I'm just doing liquids, I'll drink some orange juice to give me a little energy and a little flavor or whatever. And, but I, we never, like, buy orange juice except when I'm fasting. Well, Sadie's learned that now. So if she goes to the refrigerator and she sees orange juice, she'll go, Daddy, are you fasting? I say, yeah, buddy, I'm fasting. Well, early on, she'd say, like, oh, well, what is fasting? And I'd say, well, you know, fasting is when we when we choose to not do some things to, to, to tell God, let God know that we're serious about, you know, loving him and having a relationship with him. 
And so we, we, you know, we talk through that. And so now she'll say, Daddy, are you fasting? Yeah, I'm fasting. She'll say, well, I want to fast too. Perfect. What do you want to fast? Candy. All right, well, Daddy's probably fasting for like 21 days. You sure you want to do that? She's like, yep, I'm going to fast candy. So she came back like 300 minutes later, and she was like, well, Daddy, listen, I was thinking, um, I am going to fast candy, but not the gummy worms, because I really like those, and that would be too hard. I said, hey, that's great. But listen, I want her to know that we fast because we want to get closer to God and pray for big things to have. Like, I want her to know that, like, yeah, we fast. What do you mean? Like, we fast. That's what, when you love God, you fast. That's what you do. And she gets birthday money. We take 10%. And I say, now, go give that to Miss Kim, Pastor Kim, for tithing. She's not totally sold on that one yet. Um, but I want her to know. I want her to know. It came from God. So, um, yeah, I could keep going forever and ever on these stories, but here's the question I wrote down. If I stopped being a Christian, would my parenting change? Like, does, does, does God's commands and is what God, is the way that I'm fully committed to God a part of my parenting? Is it so intertwined that if I decided tomorrow to stop being a Christian, would my parenting even change? Or would it still just be about manners and respect, because I want Sadie to have those virtues, but I want them to come out of a transformed heart. Now, listen, at the age of six, like, you say please and thank you, and we're not, it's not because God transformed your heart. You just say please and thank you. I get that, but I don't want her to have the virtues of someone who loves God without knowing God. And so if you stop being a Christian tomorrow, would your parenting change? Would your kids even know? You know, that's a valid question. So here are four things. I want to try to be helpful. i got a couple minutes left. Here are four things that we do in our house, not because we're experts and not because we're better than anyone, but I really wanted to try to, like, give you something you could do. For the season of life we're in right now, we have a 7-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 1-year-old. We don't have teenagers. I know that throws a wrinkle in a lot of this. I get all that. But here are four things that Andrea and I try to do with our kids to raise kids who are not just good kids but kids that know God. Number one, we pray for miracles. We pray for miracles. Um, we're praying for healing right now for Sadie's tongue. And so every night, Nora and Sadie, I'll say, who's praying tonight? One of them will pray. And like I say, most time it's like fart noises, you know, like they're cutting up, they're tickling each other. But hey, guys, come on, we're praying. But I don't want to say like, hey, we're praying, stop that. I want them to think prayer's fun too, you know. But um, God, we pray that you would heal Sadie's tongue. Take that bump away completely, God. We, we, we believe you will. I believe you'll do that. I want them to know that God hears us when we pray. I want them to know God does big things. And if the only time they're praying is now I lay me down to sleep and God, thank you for providing this food for me to eat, that's fine. But I want them to know they can also pray, God, move the mountain and the mountain be moved. And so as we're praying for Sadie's miracle right now, in my personal time of prayer, I'm praying, God, I pray that you would heal her because we would like for you to heal her. But God, more than you healing her for healing her sake, I pray that you would let her to experience a miracle that would ignite her faith as a seven-year-old and she would know that there's nothing God cannot do because that would change the trajectory of her life. So we pray big prayers around our house and, and as much as possible, we bring our kids into that. Let me give you... A, I don't have time, but let me just tell you real quickly. So um, when we knew that Andrea was pregnant with Solomon, we knew, but we hadn't told the kids yet. And so one night, Sadie said, uh, Dad, you'd be awesome if Mommy had another baby. I said, you know what? It would be awesome. Why don't we start praying 
that God would put a baby in mommy's belly. She said, okay. So for like two weeks every night, God, I just pray that you would get, let mommy have a baby or whatever. So then two weeks later, we bring her downstairs. I said, Sadie, you remember what you've been praying? Yeah. I said, guess what? Mommy's pregnant. <gasps> Are you serious? Like, I was kind of rigging it a little bit, but like, I want her to know that, that, that God answers big prayers. Uh, so we pray for miracles. Um, uh, number two, we talk about the Bible. We talk about God's word. We talk about God's word. Um, not just that we read, but like I want my kids to know God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. Sadie will ask me sometimes, like, God, what, uh, Dad, not Jason, Dad, what, what does God sound like? Like, I don't know, man. It's just sometimes that's a thought. It's a feel, you know. I want her to know God speaks, God wants to speak to you. And every time you open that Bible and read that story about Daniel or whoever, I want you to know God wants to speak to you. Um, So we pray for miracles. We talk about God's word. Number three, we actively participate in church. We're a ministry family. And I know that it can feel like, oh, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Like, I guess. But my dad picked me up from basketball practice every Wednesday at 6 o'clock, even though practice went to 7 because, and I was, I hated him for it. I was so mad. It was embarrassing. Dad said, we don't miss church, son. Get in the car. Dad, I want to stay. My, my coach is mad. He won't. We don't miss church. Get in the car. Mom brought you a change of clothes. Get in the car. We're going to church. I'm so glad he did that. And I can't give you a quantity. Like, I can't say, like, well, if you're in church twice a month, then God's only going to do this. But if you're there three times or if it's 36 times, I can't tell you that. But I want my kids to know that there is a place that God created and God set up where they can go and they can be with a family of people who are believing and trusting God and people who will pray for them and people who will encourage them. And I don't want them to just go to church. I want them to help build the church. And you guys invest more in my kids and see my kids more than my family sees my kids. They're around you more. And so, I mean, I guess I could try to raise them up to love God on my own, but why would I try to do that when God has given me the resource of the church? And I want them to, like, yeah, I'm a preacher, so I could preach stories to them, but I want them to come and I want them to hear Pastor Kim and Matt tell stories about God and the Bible and Scripture, and I want to get in the car and talk about it, and I want them to experience what the presence of God feels like. And I could put on some karaoke worship in the bedroom at 845 and be like, come on, kids, let's lift our hands. Then they would be weird when they grew up. But the church can do that for me. And so we actively participate in church. And I don't have time to really press in on this, but I just want to challenge you. Please do not act shocked when your kids get old enough to decide if they want to go to church. If you did not model to them that church was the most important commitment that you make on the weekends, please do not act surprised when they don't want to go. And I'm not saying that if you are fully committed to church, they'll want to go because every kid goes through a phase they don't want to go. But... If my family's in town, we are in church. And even when we're out of town, we usually find a church to go to. And so I believe that it is one of the single greatest contributors to the blessing that God has on my family and the things that he's doing in my life is the fact that we've decided we're partnering with God. We're going to help build the church. And I know that travel baseball is important and soccer is important and the lake is important and vacation is important. And I think you should do those things. 
Because the families that I know that have no fun together, even though they go to church, hate each other. So have fun together. But I could care less if my daughter ends up being the greatest soccer player in the world. She doesn't know God. And so we go to church. We're a ministry family. And when it comes time for someone to ask Sadie to be on a traveling soccer team or whatever it is, and, and we, if we start missing church, you, come, you hold me to what I'm telling you right now. We're not sacrificing church. Because for us, we don't want to raise good kids. We want to raise kids who know God. And you meet him here. And we believe that. And then number four, we practice generosity. We practice generosity. We talk about it as a family. We talk about God getting his tithe first. We talk about sharing with others. Sadie, for some ungodly reason, my parents sent Sadie $100 for her birthday. She's seven. So, but they sent her $100. That's what I get. I'm 30, you know. It's like, come on, let's equate this out a little bit. Anyway, um, but she got $100. And I said, Sadie, we're giving 10. Let's get the $10 and take it to Pastor Kim. I don't want to. It's my money. I said, Sadie, who gave you that money? Papa. I said, yeah, 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 but who gave it to Papa? The bank. I said, no, 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 but you're missing the point. It came from God. I said, but you're not spending 90 on yourself. You got to go to the store with mom and you got to buy something for somebody else. That's a lot of money. You go buy something for somebody else and you buy something for your sister and you buy some clothes for school that mom picks out for you and then you can spend what's left for you, right? Uh, we practice generosity. I love George and Julie Green on Sunday mornings. I see their kids bringing in envelopes of coins that I'm sure our offering counters get annoyed by, but I see them standing up on a chair, dumping their coins into the offering boxes. That's how you raise kids who know God and not just good kids. They practice generosity. I want them to know everything we have is from God. We give it to him first. I can't expect my kids to become what I won't model. I just can't. I've got to model it. And so if you're here today, like here was my biggest fear about today is that somebody would be here and you would feel guilty and condemned that you're a terrible parent. This is a place of hope. I don't want you to feel that way. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If as you were talking today, and I think so many of us could do this, I've been challenged myself. I think if you find yourself falling short from what you feel like you could be or should be as a parent to raise kids who know God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today or tonight or tomorrow and get around the dinner table or sit in the living room or sit in the bedroom and I want you to confess to your kids. I want you to say something like this. Hey, listen, mommy and daddy haven't been, uh, you know, as committed to God as we should be. But I want you to know that, and make it age appropriate, I want you to know that this is what we're doing. I talked to somebody after the first service, and here's what they said. They said, we sat down with our, our kids. It's a, it's a mixed family and kids from both relationships coming together, teenage kids. She said, we're not married. We're engaged. We've been living together. We've been sleeping together. And God convicted us of that. And she said, a month ago, she said, we sat the family down, and we said, listen, we've been disobeying God, and we've been sleeping together. And I want you guys to know they're teenagers. I want you to know we're going to abstain from that because that's what God told us to do. You talk about power for a 13, 15, 17-year-old kid, teenager, who's hearing their parents say that. That's more powerful. That is modeling it. That's more powerful than like trying to save them at 17 when they've seen us model something that goes against what we're saying. You understand my point? So listen, don't feel condemned. Don't feel guilty. Start today. Sit down. 
and tell them, say, hey, listen, this is where we fell short, but we're changing things, and I want us to do it together. And I believe that what the Bible says is true, that when you confess your sins to one another, I think that includes your children, when you confess your sins to one another, Christ heals you. And I believe today you can change your family tree, not just raise good kids, but kids that know God. Let's pray.